0: Love that your eyes are on Matthew chapter 5, and just look at these words again with me as it preaches to our souls. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, this is a very familiar text, and you know for chapels this year your theme of community, of fellowship. So why would we go here this morning to distinctly mark you out and to mark out Puritan Seminary as people of Matthew 5? Well, because the Beatitudes are all about the nature of God's kingdom. And this is not unique to me. You know this through reading the Beatitudes. But every Beatitude can be marked out in three distinct ways. First, when you look at a Beatitude, you see a kingdom declaration. And everyone, you know this. And in this particular Beatitude, it's blessed. This kingdom declaration that you are blessed. We can put it this way. Blessed means... That there are kingdom people who have received divine favor from God. And this brings about an internal ordering that produces their flourishing. Here in this kingdom declaration, God is saying to you, you, uniquely, because of Christ, are blessed. Now, second, in every beatitude, there's a kingdom people. Do you see it there? Blessed are the peacemakers that's us. There are a kingdom people in every beatitude. And here he lists that you are uniquely peacemakers. Now, what is that going to look like in your life? What is that going to look like in the halls of Puritan Seminary? Well, we'll get there in a minute, but I want you to see about this beatitude that there's a kingdom people. Charles Quarley makes this quote about these beatitudes. He says, Beatitudes are not entrance requirements, but rather they define the character and conduct of those whom God has already claimed as his. They describe the holy life that is necessary flowing from genuine salvation. Did you hear that? This morning, we're not saying, okay, we have to be peacemakers, and then we get to be kingdom people. The Beatitudes are saying, you're already kingdom people. Because you've been called. And therefore, a result of that is in this place, and in your life and in our churches, there will be peacemaking because we're already his. Why? Because peacemaking is not first and foremost something we're going to do. It is the very nature of the king of the kingdom. And so when we come to the Beatitudes, all right, there, there is a kingdom declaration, we're blessed. There is a kingdom people, we're peacemakers. But then lastly, there's always tied to it, a kingdom promise. And I want you to cling to this this morning. And what does it say there in the text? What is the promise but that they shall be called the children of God? So this morning, sitting here, there's a promise over you. That because the king of the kingdom has called you, You are going to be children of God. It is your unique, unshakable kingdom blessing. So with those three categories, we say, okay, what does that have to do with community at Puritan or in my local church? Well, it has everything to do with community. Why? Because you, through Christ, get to uniquely bring the peace of the kingdom to bear wherever you are. So let's just look at this big picture. Let's go back to the word peacemakers. All right, what does it mean to be a kingdom person? What does it mean to be a person of peacemaking in your relationships? Well, here's a definition. I'm gonna give 80% credit to Sinclair Ferguson, and then 20% credit to a few other words that got thrown in there from other authors. So primarily Sinclair, 20% other people. Here's a definition of peacemakers. Peace and peacemaking is a state, ready, of wholeness, of health, and well-being based in the righteousness of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Did you hear what he said? Wholeness, health, and well-being, all wrapped up and on the foundation of the righteousness and the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so peace and peacemaking, we're not going to go down the trap of the absence of hostility. We're going to go biblical and say, peace is completeness, it's soundness, it's wholeness. Why? Well, Because that's your Trinitarian God. That is the Father and the Son and the Spirit that you worship. You by being called of the Father, get to uniquely display in all of your relationships a Trinitarian reality of peace. Ready for this? Three ways. One, Philippians 4, 7. Your God, your Father, in Philippians 4:7, is described this way: And the peace of God, which patheth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 7. So that's saying to us, the very nature of our God, the Father, 4, verse 7, is one of peace. He has it. He is this peace. In himself, there is order. There is wholeness. There is health residing in him. In any way we ever experience that, is simply borrowed from looking and experiencing Him. In Philippians 4, 7, it says, "In the peace of God, it exists. So, here's a beautiful thing for us this morning. If we're going to be uniquely Trinitarian in our peace, it means that peace is not randomly available in the world. It means there is no peace through a collection of practices or virtues That are just floating out there. There is no peace to be randomly found within myself. There is no peace to be found by emptying myself of some toxicity. There is no peace apart from an external reality found in God the Father. He is the only source, Philippians 4 verse 7. And so second we turn to the Son, the second member of the Trinity. And what does Romans 5.1 say to you this morning? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the second member of the Trinity distinctly justifies us and his peace through faith in him comes to reside in our lives. And this is the first aspect of peace that we rejoice over. That we are at peace because of the second member of the Trinity with God the Father and His holiness and His otherness because it's been provided by Jesus. I am justified not because of how long my sermons are or how short my sermons are. I'm not justified by how much my congregation loves me or how much my congregation wishes another call would come. I'm not justified by any of those things. I'm justified by faith in Christ, and therefore I have peace with God. And so this morning, I am at peace because of them. And then on top of that, if that wasn't enough to make you a man or a woman of peace, the Holy Spirit comes along and says, do not forget the third member of the Trinity. But what does Romans 12.18 tell you? And what does Galatians 5.22 just preach to your heart? But that the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace. You have a Trinitarian reality working on your life apart from your effort to produce the peace of the Trinity in you because it desires to see it manifest in your life. And so again, if we just step back, peace is a state of wholeness, of health spiritually, and well-being based in the righteousness of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, says Sinclair Ferguson. And this morning, I hope you can say, yes, I delight over that. That is my identity. That is my hope. And that's why I love Jesus. That's why I don't talk about my pastor, or my church, or my denomination, or my background. I want to talk with you about Jesus, because in Him, I have found peace. Colossians 3.15 will press this even more to our hearts. You kind of got Colossians 3.15 in your heart, kind of loaded and ready to go? What does it remind you of? Let the peace of Christ rule In your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace and be thankful. Did did you hear this morning? The peace of Christ is to rule in your heart, meaning take up supreme authority. That's what's to dominate your disposition. I have two daughters and I love them, and they could not be any more different. Last night, we left a basketball game with my son, and we went out to dinner with his team. When we got done, I noticed there was a Chick-fil-A across the street, and on my app, I got a notification that the peppermint shake is now available for a limited time. And as I'm sitting there seeing Chick-fil-A across the street, I said to my kids, we're going to go, and on the way home, we're all going to get a peppermint shake just to enjoy the snow and the turning of the seasons. My 13-year-old daughter says, no, we're not. That is irresponsible. We just had dinner, and that is a waste of our money, Dad. Well, one, I don't need you to have opinion on our finances because you don't even know them. And two, I would like to do this. My, my nine-year-old in the backseat says, yes, Dad, we are going to do this. And I want double whipped cream and three cherries on top. So now, just listen to that moment. My, my daughter has a rule and authority, and we would go one way as a family. My nine-year-old has a rule and authority, and she would lead us in a very bad direction as a family. And I've got a rule and authority kind of down the middle that I want to exercise. Who wins? And in that moment, I did. I'm the father. I won. I made the decision. We executed my plan. And Paul in Colossians says there is a supreme authority, a rule, a sovereign over every day of your life. And do you know what it is? Well, you would say, yes and amen, the Lord Jesus. Yes, but can you be more biblical? What specifically about the Lord Jesus should manifest from his rule in our life every day? And Colossians 3 says, I want to highlight something for you. I want to highlight an aspect of his rule. You should experience his rule in your life through the reign of his peace. Over your hearts, his peace tied to the Father and tied to the Son, his order, his wholeness, his wellness should be manifest in you through thankfulness every single day because he's the sovereign, he's the ruler. And then notice what it says. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And so the rule of Christ, displayed in his order, his peace, should be Colossians 3.15, manifest in this one body, because all of us were called to the same reality. And and so at Puritan, one of the things, and in our churches, one of the things we should be uniquely known for is when people come into this one body, this one unified group, looking at Christ, they should be able to say, and they ought to say, There's peace in this place. There is an order. There is a wholeness. There is a righteousness that does not just flow from, well, they've got some great professors and they've got amazing administration or they've got a catchy vision and mission for the church. No, there's a group of people who have been called and captivated by Christ in the peace of the Trinity is residing and manifesting in them, their order, their wholeness, and I can see it. I can hear it in them. And I experience it in how they live with one another. This is the gift that God uniquely gives to our Christian community in fellowship with one another. Four realities, very briefly, about Christ and his peace. Just think of Ephesians 2, verse 14. Christ says he is the source of all peace. In 2 Thessalonians 3:16, Christ says he is the prince or the Lord of all peace. You're going to be hearing this in the weeks to come, no doubt, but Isaiah 9:6 describes Jesus as the what? But the very prince of peace. In John 14, verse 27 says that Jesus is the very giver of all peace. So brothers and sisters, here in this place and in our communities, one of the driving hallmarks of our relationships is a distinctly clear and evident display of Trinitarian order, wholeness, and wellness amongst the brothers and sisters in this place. Two hard truths about that. First, why might that not manifest itself? Well, one, because people want to declare false peace. Jeremiah 6.14, what does he say? They have healed the wounds of my people lightly, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. Many of us will want to call out a false peace. And Jeremiah says, "Don't, don't go down that road. Also, many of us might want to fall into a trap of internal disposition where we just like to be peaceable. We want to just agree to disagree. You want to live long in ministry in a local church? Don't offend anyone. Just park it right down the middle and you'll survive. You won't glorify God, but you will survive for a while in a season of ministry. Just don't have an opinion on much. Well, we can't go there either to be faithful to the Lord. But we also know. That we serve in a world where Isaiah 48.22 says, there is no peace. For who? For the wicked. And so there is a category of those who do not have peace and those who do. And the only reason I am in this category with the Trinity is because God, by His sovereign mercy, called me and dragged me out, apart from my will, from the category of the what? The wicked. I would be the man without peace if it wasn't for the Trinity interjecting on my behalf. And so this morning, the Beatitude says to you, blessed are the peacemakers. Now, what was the promise attached to that? And this is the second and briefer focus I want you to see. But the promise is what? That they shall be called the children of God. Do you see it this morning? In peacemaking you pick up the family status when you display peace order wholeness justice on god's behalf you display that you belong to a family apart from yourself why because you didn't learn that from your generational line You didn't learn that because your grandmother was so amazing. Although I'm sure your grandmother is amazing, that's not where you picked it up. You learned it from the Trinity. Why? Because it's the very nature and activity of the Father. This kingdom promise is incredible. You have been called by the Father. You have been redeemed by the Son. And you have been indwelt by the Spirit so that the peace of the Trinity might reside in you. Thomas Watson has an outstanding essay on this beatitude. I would just commend the entire thing to you. And he he highlights two errors if you want to be a man or woman who walks in, in peacemaking. The first is that you would listen to whisperers, And I'm not going to expound on that. You can go look that up yourself. It is outstanding that you would listen to those who love to whisper into your ear and lead you astray. But the second thing he highlights is, if you want to submarine peacemaking in this place and in the churches you serve and in the agencies you'll serve, be a man or woman who walks in pride. He says, you want to submarine, this beautiful gift that you have been given, become known by something that you treasure more than being called the child of God. I'll never forget in seminary, um, my niche, the thing I was known for, was never going to be the top of the class. It wasn't. It was never going to be my writing ability that I could out poetically write other people in the class. Trust me, that was not going to be my gift. The only little niche that I had was that I was Dutch, that I was Reformed, and that I was from Grand Rapids, Michigan. For some reason, that held some sway in the South. People were impressed by that. I was confessionally Heidelberg, Dutch. They all knew that about me. And I'll never forget sitting in Derek Thomas's systematic theology class. And he's up there in his wonderful Welsh accent, waxing poetically about the deep things of the truth, applying it to the church. And I'm sitting there daydreaming in the best daydream you have ever had. I am a mile away from whatever he is lecturing about. And I remember hearing in his Welsh accent, Jeremy. And everything in me went, "Uh uh-oh. And I looked up, and Derek Thomas is looking at me. And unbeknownst to me, he had asked a question from the class. And nobody answered. So he thought, okay, Jeremy can answer. And what question did he ask? But was this, what are the keys of the kingdom? Now, if you're thinking right now, you're like, got it. I know, know. some of you are smirking. You know the answer to this question. What are the keys of the kingdom? And Derek Thomas says, now that I'm paying attention, Jeremy, you're Dutch, you're from West Michigan, and you love your Heidelberg. Jeremy, what are the keys of the kingdom? And do you know what my answer was? I have no clue what they are. I was so emotionally worked up that I was daydreaming that I got brought back into the room. I had completely forgotten, Lord's Day 31, question and answer 83. I knew it. I am Dutch. I am reformed. I love the Heidelberg. But in that moment, I was disobedient and not paying attention. And I looked at him and said, I don't remember. And if you don't know, pure preaching of the gospel and what? church, discipline, and in everything in me in that moment died. And Derek Thomas said this, Jeremy, you're Dutch. A first-year seminary student should know that. Do you know what happened to my pride in that moment? The little thing I loved, the little thing I cherished, the little thing I blew some wind into, evaporated publicly in a moment. The Dutch guy didn't no, the catechism, and everybody knew it. And that was all I had. Because I wasn't going to be the best in this room at anything else. And here, here's what this beatitude is getting at. You have an identity. And I hope you're amazing at million things, and I hope there's wonderful little gifts that reside in you. But the thing that should reside above all things is this. Peacemakers are children, and children of the king are peacemakers. We should be uniquely known by many things, but without a doubt, we should be known by the fact that we're children, and children of the king make peace in the kingdom of the king. And so that has to happen here, and that has to happen in our churches, In this reality must sink in. That so many things can be true of us, but your status as a child of God will be the thing that fuels your peacemaking efforts in Christian community. It has to be. And so one of the gifts that Derek gave me on that day was to say, Jeremy, you can diminish in your own eyes, and I did. And Jeremy, how about you cling to some things that matter, that have some substance? Jeremy, why don't you be known by the things of Scripture? And the Beatitudes this morning would say, yeah, and why don't you start with bringing the order and the wholeness and the righteousness of Christ to bear in the relationships in this place. So let's apply this Beatitude to us. How do we distinctly make peace because we've been graciously called as children of God? Well, first... Peacemaking invites us into conflict. Listen, in the life of ministry, you must engage in conflict. When conflict comes, so many of us are going to want to run. We're not going to want to speak peace into situations of chaos. Why? Because the situations of toxic chaos will then come into your life. And they will gladly push back on your life. And they will remind you that you can take your peace and your order and walk it right on down the road because they love toxicity and chaos. But you, as a citizen of the kingdom, want to say, No, I see disorder. I see chaos. And I want to bring the wholeness. I want to bring the righteousness of Christ to bear in this place. If you seek peacemaking in your relationships, it will help you diminish in the fear of man. It is such a good gift to us. Second, why else would you pursue peacemaking? But be aware that it's going to make you vulnerable. You you really, in the life of a church, want to step into somebody's life who is disordered apart from God's wisdom, and you, you... Want to help speak wisdom into that? Well, you better have your house in order. You better not be two questions away from a simple little request that reveals what's all hiding beneath the surface, right? So many of us, because we walk in disorder, will not approach peacemaking because we know our own mess. We know our own home. And one of the gifts of peacemaking in a Christian community is to help you grow in sanctification. Listen, sister. Listen, brother. I got areas I need to grow. I got areas I'm disordered. Let me lead with those. Here's where I walk in disorder. And Sister, that's why I can see some disorder in you, according to God's word. And can we walk in this together to reorder ourselves around Christ and around his righteousness? And third, I just want to press you as you pursue peacemaking, be mindful that it's going to take a lot of your time. And this is where you and I get selfish. Do you have extra time on your hands right now? As students, especially if you're a student at Puritan Seminary, I know your reading load and I know your writing requirements. No, you do not have extra time on your hands, but you get involved in ordering people's lives for their good and God's glory. Takes time because just like us, people don't just fall into conformity because you asked a question. Peacemaking is a labor and an effort. But hear me when it flows out of your identity as a child of the king, it is a joy and it is something you should want to enter in for the good of God's people and for some, the redemption of their souls because they're disordered against God's wholeness. And so, yes, peacemaking is going to be conflict. Yes, it's going to make you vulnerable. And yes, it's going to take a ton of your time. But you uniquely, especially in this place, with your training and with your blessings, hear me, you of all people have been uniquely called to model peacemaking in this place, in your relationships, in whatever church you call home. Be a man or a woman of peacemaking. If you're familiar with Peacemaking Ministries, they have a wonderful PDF you can download that gives you some practical steps that I would commend to you on a two-sided sheet. I have it laminated and I give it to every couple who gets married. They are working through peacemaking principles. In there, they have one very practical section that they just constantly hold before you. And they say, okay, if you've been called by God, and you want to see his peace, his order made manifest in life, here are some steps you can go about. And just listen to how they briefly list these off. They say, when you're seeking confession and repentance with another, or you're helping others in conflict and peacemaking, go about it this way. They say, first, address everyone involved. Be a man or a woman who addresses everyone affected by a conflict. That will set you apart immediately. But you know what we love to do? Keep it as narrow as possible, right? Don't want to humble myself. Want to walk in pride. Let's just keep this squabble as quiet as can be. Second, they say, avoid generalities. They say, don't talk about it and buff and maybes. No, get there. Say what conflict is. Be a truth speaker. Three, they say, admit specifically what you can own. There's a radical idea. When you're in conflict with a spouse and you know that your wife is 99.86% wrong. Okay, well, that wasn't 100. Can I acknowledge specifically what I can own? They say peacemakers, number four, are going to aggressively acknowledge hurt. Where have I failed you? Where have I wounded you? It doesn't even matter if I think it's fair. Do you feel wounded by me? I want to hear that, and I want to acknowledge it. Why? Because I want to be a person of peace. I want to be a person who brings order and wholeness. And if you feel wounded by me, there isn't wholeness. Fifth, they say accept consequences. Such things as restitution. Whatever comes because there's disorder, accept those consequences. Six, alter our behavior. That's the key to repentance. Turning away and altering behavior. Seven, they say, actually say it. Ask for forgiveness. Now, did you hear me? Say it. In our home, we have this policy. You may not say two words together ever in our home. You know what they are? I'm sorry. Not allowed in the viscer home. Why? Because it's vague. You're sorry? What does that mean? You're sorry for what? What does that look like? The only thing I'm allowed to say to my children is this. Please forgive me for... And then there has to be a descriptor after that. And then you have to actually sit around and wait... And see, if the person you're speaking to says, yes, that is the reason for our offense, and I do forgive you for what you said. And I love this idea that God has made peace with us, not in a vague way, not in a light way. He got specific with my sin. So specific, he put everyone by name on Christ and nailed them to a cross at his personal punishment. He wasn't Vague with sin. Well, then I'm not going to be with you. And when I sin and when I fall short, I want to name it. Why? Because it glorifies even more the Lord Jesus Christ who will bear the weight of that sin that I just committed against you. And when I seek to make peace with you, I honor and exalt the one who has made peace with me. That's a different community. That is a different place to belong and be a part of. And lastly, they end with this one. In forgiveness, in peacemaking, allow time. Pastorally, youngest pa- young pastors will get tripped up on this one the quickest. They'll nail all the theological categories. But they will expect members in the church to forgive and to move on instantly. When we sin against one another, it hurts and it stains us. There is deep wisdom in relationships and especially pastoral situations to allow time for healing. Not so much time that bitterness can grow, but time that the heart and the soul can work through and process biblically the deep disappointments and hurts of our sin. And so Jesus in the Beatitudes says, okay, we're the kingdom people. We have kingdom promises. We're children of God, and that's going to manifest in our lives. Just a few other ways I would encourage you to walk in biblical peacemaking with one another. First, if you're going to truly walk in biblical peacemaking, you're going to learn a new phrase, and it's this. I will not dwell on an incident. Did you hear me? Incidents happen. You get to choose if you dwell on it. Are you going to replay the thing that that fellow student said, maybe casually or maybe intentionally, in your mind? I will not dwell on these things. Why? Does Christ dwell on my sin? He does not. When it is forgiven, it is done. And therefore, I am not going to act in a manner of discord from the revealed will of Christ. Second, I'm not going to bring up hurts against you again. I will not use what you have done against me to store it away for the moment I need it. And when you misstep, I can pull it out and I can gotcha. Because I've been waiting to bring up this offense. I will either deal with the offense or I will move on and not use it again. Third, and this one is essential in Christian community. When I am offended, I will not talk about it to others. You know this in your heart, right? You see somebody walk in, you're with a group of friends, and you see her walk in, and the first thing you don't see is that's a redeemed, called sister of Christ. What do you see? I remember how you slighted me six months ago. And then what, what do you want to do? And what do I want to do in my flesh? You're with the people. And just, just an offhand comment, hey, do you do you know what she did six months ago? What? Why are you talking about it? That was between you and her and between the Lord. And I will not talk about these things as my go-to story of gossip and slander. This is that idea of whispering again. Peacemaking is taking offenses and bringing them in. And then lastly, I'm not going to let this hinder our relationship. I am not going to look at you and see first and foremost what you have done against me. But I am going to look at you as a blessed child of God. One last tool I'd want to give you in peacemaking. And I would say this one has been the most effective in the life of the church that I have served as a pastor for a brief 11 years now that I have seen employed by members and people in the church. And this last piece of peacemaking would be this. Proverbs 19, verse 11. Ready? Good sense makes one slow to anger. And it is his glory to overlook an offense. One of the greatest tools of peacemaking you have at your disposal is the active ability to employ the work of overlooking an offense. It happened. He said it. Six other people saw it. It's a real thing. And you know the gospel power to look at that real offense and say, I overlook it. I don't diminish what it is. I name it for exactly what it is. In the gospel, I consciously choose to not hold him accountable for this thing and I will move on past it. That is gospel freedom. Why? Because I am not defined by how you treat me. I am not defined by what you think of me. I am not defined by what you expect from me. How am I defined? I was in the Beatitudes this morning. And I read that blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Because they will be called children of God. So I'm going to use your offense, this real offense in this moment, to declare louder than the offense something true of me, that I'm a child of God. And so instead of walking in offense here, I'm going to walk in peace. Because I want to experience in a real way that him declaring me a child is more glorious and satisfying than me justifying myself in the face of your offense. I would rather not be justified and dignified in your eyes than to cheapen the ability to overlook an offense and be glorified in God's eyes. I want to experience the theology I believe overlook an offense. Now, if you're my favorite person who throws an asterisk up and says, yes, but what if it's repeated? By all means, There are other gospel calls, and deal with that sister or brother. But hear me, we're towards the end of the year. When you look back on the past 12 months, can you say, I know the joy of walking in peace in a world of chaos. I know the deep gospel blessing of overlooking offenses and not being marked by them. And I know the rich gospel blessing that I have been reconciled by the Trinity. And therefore, I have spent my days and my efforts to see other chaos, other disorder come into conformity with Christ. And I've experienced that here at Puritan. And I've seen that play out through a group of people in the church who honestly, apart from Christ, really don't have a lot in common. But oh, blessed are the peacemakers. Because they're, well, they're the children of God. Friends, let's pray. Father, we want to be marked out by thy word. Not ours. Not our emotions. Not our justification. Not our desires. Not our hopes. Not our longings. Father, we want to be uniquely marked out by your promises. And so, Lord, on this day, again, we claim this promise that we are blessed in the Trinity. That there is a King of the kingdom, and His name is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the chief and greatest peacemaker. Father, we praise Him for making peace with your justice through His righteousness. And therefore, Lord, when we meditate, when we rejoice on that, Father, we want it to be evident in our lives. And so, Lord, we pray it would be first evident in our homes. For our spouse, for our children, Lord, I pray that they would first taste the sweetness of peacemaking there. And then, Father, in our Christian fellowships and here in this seminary, Lord, May we be marked out as these peacemaking children. And Father, may you delight. May Jesus continue to secure us. And may the Holy Spirit work out the fruit of this peace in our lives. to the praise of your glorious name. Amen. Amen.